0: So if you would like to take the Word of God, and I invite you to take the Word of God with me uh, this evening to the book of Exodus in chapter uh, 28. So Exodus and uh, chapter uh, 28. As you turn there, I'd like to remind you when we uh, we're introduced to the garment of the priest. We know that uh, it's going to be uh, those from the tribe of Levi, uh, Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And uh, the list of all the items are given to us in verse 4. Six of them are mentioned. Uh, a seventh is mentioned later in the chapter. And we mention all of those. And uh, interestingly, when the list is given to us in, cha- in verse 4 of chapter 28, the breastplate is mentioned first. A breastplate and an ephod. So those are the first two items. When we begin to study the list beginning in verse 6, he mentions first the ephod and the girdle. And now we get to the breastplate. So I, I want us to see here that the place of emphasis is the breastplate is the, the centerpiece on the priest. All right, it's, it's working on it, all right? It's the centerpiece on the on the um on the priest, uh but uh, we're going to see here the connection uh that the ephod has with the breastplate. And so we're going to look at some of those details again this evening. Uh as we are looking at just like we looked at the tabernacle, same thing for the priestly garment. There he is. All right. That that was uh a, there was a lot of different ones you could find online, and so uh, some of them uh, had uh, had copyrights, could not be accessed, but... okay, everybody see the dot, the red dot? Okay, so I might I might use it tonight if I'm pointing out something, so... All right, so we're going to be looking here at the priest, and last time we looked at the ephod, and the ephod would be this piece right here. All right, and it is made of fine twine linen the colors that are adorning the fine twine linen is the blue uh, the purple and the scarlet but there's another thing that is added that we don't find in the tabernacle what was it remember the 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 uh, strips of what gold all right and so we have those elements now obviously communicating to us the deity of jesus christ when it came to the tabernacle we notice that, for example, when it came to the furniture, from the Ark of the Covenant to the mercy seat to the table of Shubre to the candlestick, that all of those were made of wood on the inside, but they were all overlaid with gold. The wood is a picture of the humanity of Jesus Christ, that He would be made of a woman, made after the flesh, but that the gold would be a representation or picture of His deity. Now, when we come to the priest here, uh, we don't have the wood. The priest himself is a representative of the humanity of Jesus Christ. But the outward garment is representative of the deity of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that very important. So we have all those colors with the gold incorporated in that. Now we're going to be lo- reading our text. It is quite lengthy on the breastplate. Uh, and we're going to point out a few things um, and uh, when you look at this, and I, I don't know how much study you do in your personal time, uh, I do want to give some warning. Sometimes you have to be careful, and I try to, to be careful with that. Uh, sometimes you can read a little too much into things, and you have to be careful. Sometimes you, you say, well, this m- could mean this, and it's probably better to uh, use that word. It could mean this. It doesn't necessarily mean. But the scripture uh, gives us some clarity on some things that are shadows or pictures or illustrations. Uh, and so I think it's true if you would come and the study specifically of the breastplate and the 12 precious stones that are used and the colors and all those things. And so sometimes you can go in a little deeply into that and miss the whole point. And we have to be careful when you study the Bible. We can't miss, what, what's the whole main point of the garment? It's Christ, all right? Uh, he is the main focus of that. And so let's read our text this evening Exodus chapter 28. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. So the first uh, 14 verses we looked at the, after the list was given. Uh, The ephod and the girdle. So now we come to the breastplate in verse 15. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment. With cunning work, after the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twine linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row, and the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an atheist. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. And they they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of the wreath and work of pure gold. Remember, wreath and is that of a wreath. So the gold is kind of adorning, kind of like a wreath. So there would be maybe in gold, but it would be carved in some type of plantation or Uh, You could say a flower of pomegranate. We'll see that later. Uh, And so that's what wreath and work means. Uh, Verse 23, And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate, and thou shalt put the two wreath and chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreath and chains uh, thou shalt fasten in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate and the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. And the two other rings of gold thou shalt make and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath, towards the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod, which is a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart, when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. When he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Now I'd like to bring your attention here to a reference to the breastplate, but there's something that is attached three times in our text. And so I always try, if there is, it is appropriate, to place an emphasis where God places an emphasis. And here in verse 15, when he speaks of the breastplate, he calls it, notice verse 15, thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment. If you notice again in verse 29, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. And then one more time, verse 30, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And so three times in our text, we find the expression, the breastplate of judgment. So I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled The Breastplate of Judgment. It's wonderful when you don't have to make up a title. You just take it right from the text. Now, we've already seen here as we look at the breastplate, we're we're going to proceed through the text and see if we can... uh, Again, there's a lot of details here concerning the breastplate, but I want us to point out, uh, again, God is giving this instruction to Moses, and He's being very specific as to how this is to be attached, as to where it is to be located, as to the names that are to be engraven on the stones, as to what stones that are to be used, as to the exact proportion of this breastplate, as to how and what is to be used to attach the breastplate uh, to the ephod and to the, the shoulder mounts. And so we're going to look here at our text um, and just take note of a few things as we proceed here. But one of the questions would be, we've already seen that the names of the tribes have already been engraven. Have they not on the shoulder pieces? We already looked at that. Uh, You had the shoulder of gold with the gold settings and the uh, stones on each shoulder and you would have engraved on those shoulders uh, the names of the 12 tribes. Uh, and the shoulders are said, as we mentioned, to be the place of strength, to be the place where, as we read, the government shall be upon His shoulders, and He carries that. And we mentioned how uh, we are kept and we are brought into the presence of God and kept in the presence of God by the very power of our High Priest, Jesus Christ. And because we are on His shoulders, uh, we, uh, we'll, we cannot lose our salvation. Now, the names are also engraven here, as we looked in our text, on the 12 stones that adorn the breastplates. Let me make some preliminary observations here. The first thing that we note as we look at this is that the names, same thing as the names engraven on the shoulder pieces, the names are not simply written on the stones the bible says they are to be engraved in the stones and so this communicates to us the idea of permanence that it is not something that you're going that, that changes the name will always be before the lord uh, the names also rested upon the stones that were that are set each one in their own enclosing. So there's a difference here between there are only two stones. There will be six engraved on, on this shoulder, six tribes engraved on this shoulder. But when it comes to the breastplate, there's going to be 12 stones, and each tribe is going to have be engraven on its own stone. So that's a, a difference there, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But we also see here that the breastplate itself was chained with pure gold. And we're gonna talk about how the breastplate and the ephod are never to be loosed. And we'll talk about the importance and the significance of that. So as we look at our text here, let's go back to verse 15. And we're gonna see here, the Bible says, first of all, uh, describes the breastplate as the breastplate of judgment. And I'm gonna touch on this a little later in this message. Notice, this is going to be made of cunning work. And uh, part of what we would find here, you can't really see the difference, I think, from a distance, but... Oh, wait. There you go. So, this is the ephod. And remember, the ephod will be, there's a back part and a front part, and you'd have to kind of put it over your head, and it would come down and sit on your shoulders, like an armor of a soldier. That would be the ephod. And there would be the, as we saw, the two shoulder pieces right here. That would connect the front part of the ephod to the back part of the ephod now you can't uh, see the distinction but remember the breastplate according to verse 15 is made of the same material in the same colors so it would be blended in with the ephod and so the breastplate is right here that's i don't know if you can see the edge that's that's pretty good right everybody can see that so you can see here the edge Uh, Again, the same colors and the 12 stones, three, 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 and three, which makes the 12. Uh, Again, the same colors. We already talked about the colors and the material, so I'm not going to touch on that again. Uh, By the way, it was the same that was used with the tabernacle, so there's a pattern that is repeated all throughout. But notice the dimensions in verse 16. Four square it shall be being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. A span will probably be about this right here. Okay, the tip of your finger or the tip of your thumb. This would be a span. Now, is there anything else in the tabernacle that is square? Anything else that is perfectly square? Anybody remember? I'll let you know. It was the brazen altar. The other things have different dimensions, and we talked about those dimensions there. But this is the 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 uh, the breastplate and the brazen altar are the two things that are square. Uh, He goes on to mention here um, in verse 17, And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. And so he speaks here of the four rows. So you have row one, two, three, and four. One, two, three, and it goes through all twelve. Now, when you look at those stones, uh, I think they say, Well, pastor, I want to know what is the significance of, Of the sardius, and I want to know what the topaz means, and I want to know what the carbuncle. And so here's my answer: I have no idea. Uh, I I try to look at scripture to think about well, why is this particular stone used for this specific tribe? There's really not an answer. Uh, If I read from people who've tried to take a guess, that's all that is: it's a guess. The point, I think, is not to talk about the different stones. And actually, when you read, for example, the onyx stone, if you would Google today onyx stone, it's actually a quite ugly stone. It doesn't match what the onyx stone was then. It's different. So the names, you can't really put your finger on the name, but the point here is all of those, all of those, without a section, exception, were precious stones. I think that's the emphasis and they're all different, and so I think that's another point of emphasis. Not necessarily the meaning behind each stone, but the fact that they're all different, and the fact that they are all precious, and each tribe would have its own stones. Uh, We notice here, now I'll touch on this in just a little bit again, but he mentions in verse 21, and the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, Twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, everyone with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. So, the stones here, let me make some observation about that. And here, again, let's not try to think about, well, what's the significance of this specific stone? And what did it look like? And the truth is, nobody really can know what exactly those stones look like. Um, The stones, first of all, here's what we know. They were all precious in worth. That's what we do know. Uh, These were all considered precious stones. Uh, The Lord selected precious stones. It it was on these precious stones that the names of the twelve tribes were written, showing us the preciousness of each Individual name, each individual tribe. You see, whatever beauty each stone has, the truth is it is only brought out in the light. You could think about if you're down in a in a cave and you discover a precious stone and it's dark, you can't really see the beauty of that stone. But if you put it in the light, then you see the colors. Then you see the beauty come out. And I think that maybe a little representation as we know, as we think about those 12 tribes, and we have a little history in the book of Genesis about those 12 men who are represented by those 12 tribes. And let me just say, it was not perfect. As a matter of fact, for many of them it was quite wicked. But yet here their name is associated with preciousness with that which is costly, with that which has a sense of beauty. The stones were all precious in their worth. The stones were also permanent in their placement. Uh, if you notice here, and by the way, the, uh, as I mentioned here, that this uh, attire for the high priest is going to be only worn once a year. The only time he would wear this, when it talks about wearing this breastplate as a memorial before the Lord, before the Lord meant that that would be when he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And uh, the priest would come with the names of the 12 tribes engraven on the breastplate and also on the shoulder pieces. And so he would just wear this once a year. But notice the placements of those stones would never change. They were permanent. And I think it's interesting for us to know that as the high priest would bring in the breastplate into the Holy of Holies once a year, he would do so and it did not matter. There's not one set of instruction where God says to Moses, now listen, if the tribe of Judah messes up, you take their stone out. That's not what he did. Uh, you see, the placement, as we see, uh, they referred to not only as their placement, but also their enclosings. They would be secure, every stone in its place, never to be removed. And so once a year on the Day of Atonement, every year, all 12 stones would appear before the presence of God as a memorial. And so the stones were all permanent in their placement. I think that we can liken that as we think about how that pictures Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest. He is the one that brings us into the presence of God to have communion and fellowship with our Father. He is the one that does that, and our placement in Christ is a permanent placement. It never changes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life, eternal life, is in His Son. He that hath a Son hath life, eternal life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, understand that the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the breastplate does not walk into the Holy of Holies on its own. It doesn't have legs. The breastplate does not sit in the Holy of Holies. The breastplate only comes into the Holy of Holies because the high priest brings in the breastplate. And so it is with us in the Lord. We do not come into the presence of God because there is any merit or any worth in us. We come into the presence of God because that is where Jesus brings us. And so the stones are all permanent in their placement. We also note something, and that is the stones were all distinct in color and feature. Now... If you would, and I look, I'm not a, and I don't know uh, what is someone who t- uh, studies uh, a jeweler. A, Di- I was going to say diamondologist, but I, I'm, not, I'm sure that's not gemologist. gemologist. Are you a gemologist? Okay. <laughs> is there a gemologist here? Uh, I know when I, I just had a little bit of experience when I was uh, shopping for a ring for my wife you know you start to learn about well there's different diamonds and different colors and obviously for typical the typical uh, ring it's a white and but uh, the jewelers different jewelers talk about there's different types of cuts and then there's different types of densities inside and then you know they have their mic their their they're uh, magnifying glasses where they kind of look into the diamond they can tell the, the type of diamond it is and uh, where it came from and all those things. I mean, it's quite remarkable uh, to, to think about that. And when we look at all those stones, by the way, and there's different types of diamonds all around the world, and uh, people, jewelers, often, diamondologists, can, can tell them apart. They, they can see, well, that's this type of stone and it has this type of worth and so on. And so what we learn here is that all of those stones, they're not repeated. They're all distinct in color and feature. And I was thinking about that for just a moment. Obviously, the 12 tribes, their names are engraven, and they're, they're each different. And, and I was thinking about us as we, ourselves, are brought into the presence of God in Christ because we are, not because we have worth, but because we are in Christ, we are all different. We all look different. Uh, There's different features about us. But the interesting thing is that they all have the same standing on the breastplate. Right? They're all there. Uh, they're all there at the center. They all have an equal place. And we know that they're uh, given, as we uh, saw in the order of their birth earlier, but, but here uh, they all are of uh, very various colors and various features, but the stones were all equal in standing. They all rested in a gold setting. They all rested in equally on the heart of the priest. By the way, he repeats that. If you notice uh, the placement in verse 29, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his what? His heart. The names were engraven on the shoulders, but now the names are engraven on the heart. He repeats that again at the end of verse 30. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart. Before the Lord continually. So uh, we might think of this as Christ, who is our high priest, that He bears us upon His shoulders. That's the place of power, the place of strength. But He also bears us on His heart. That is the place of affection. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have Everlasting life. If you remember when we spoke of the brazen altar, the other square piece in the tabernacle, uh, we mentioned the message I preached was the brazen altar with its horns. And I don't know if you missed it, so let me repeat that. But the horns, there is one passage in the Psalms where it talks about how the sacrifice that was offered on the brazen altar was bound by cords. So why bind the sacrifice by cords? So that it doesn't escape. That's why. You remember when uh, Abraham took up his son Isaac, he had the cords and he was going to obviously bind his son. Uh, that would be the typical Uh, What you would do typically, you would bind the sacrifice before, again, the ritual was to first of all uh, bleed, and then you would burn the sacrifice. But you had to bind him. And so the cords would hold the sacrifice down. But we know that Jesus Christ, nobody took his life from him. He gave it of himself. And so the point of the horns is, well, there is something that held Jesus Christ down to be our sacrifice. And he was held down by the cords of love. Not by the cords of another man who made him die. Uh, no man took his life from him, he laid it down of his own. And so it was the cords of love that held him down. So the stones are all here, we might think, equal in color or distinct in color and features, but equal in. In standing. And uh, I really uh, love that when we think about the 12 tribes, we think about all of those, uh, go back to Jacob when he uh, gives the blessing to his 12 sons. He goes kind of through a history of what they did in the past. Uh, Joseph, we might say, "Mm, yeah, that's good. Levi, not good. There's a curse on him. But yet... There they are, all of equal standing before the Lord. Uh, and uh, here, here's the wonderful thing about our Lord. Uh, we don't have to worry about our worth in the presence of the Lord. You say, well, I know this Christian over here. They've been saved since they were five years old. You know, I, I lived my life and I got saved in my 40s and I lived a life of sin and, I, I, and uh, all of the things I've done and, and they they're probably have a better standing before God than me. No, they don't. Every believer has the same standing because our standing is not based upon uh, what we have done. Our standing is based only solely upon Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. That's all that matters. Jesus is all that matters. So when you start thinking about your past, not thinking about your past, think about Christ. And think about how your standing is not in your worth. If it was in your worth, you couldn't come into the presence of God but it is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at those stones, but then we notice, and we continue in verse 22, and thou shalt make up the breastplate chains at the ends of the wreath and work of pure gold, and thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put two rings of the two, uh, uh, on the two ends of the breastplate. Let's uh, zoom out here a little bit. So we're going to find here that the breastplate right here is going to be attached right here There's going to be a gold loop and then a gold chain of wreath and work going up to the shoulder, right? Same thing on the other side. And so, again, the wreath and work would be the adorning, right, of gold, and it would be uh, just like if you have a wreath. There's different types of wreath. How many of you put a wreath for different seasons? You have fall and winter, right, on on your home? No, just a few of you. Okay, okay. You, you know what a wreath is, right? And so, but it, it's, a, it's an ornamentation. And so uh, that gold, obviously you don't see it here. They just have a straight black strap, but it was, looked better than that, okay? Uh, it was gold and it was wreath and work. And so that would connect, notice, the, the top of the breastplate to the shoulder. But then if we notice it a little later, uh, what about uh, the, the, the bottom part? Notice what we read, and you can barely see it here, and I'll I'll point it out in just a moment. Notice verse 26. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate and the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod, inward. Uh, uh, And the two other rings of gold thou shalt make, and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod, underneath, towards the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. So remember, the girdle is called the curious girdle, That's this right here, right? And so you see kind of the girdle tightened together. So there's the girdle. The girdle keeps everything together. It keeps the ephod. Also, it's going to keep the breastplate in place. Notice if we keep reading. Uh, He says in verse 28, And they shall bind the breastplate with the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. Now, that's an important detail there. In other words, when you put the breastplate, so it is attached on this corner to the shoulder pieces with golden wreath and work, but the bottom part is attached with a blue lace to the girdle. And so so you see it right here coming down and then right here. And so it keeps the breastplate in place. And notice, God gives a detail to Moses and says, you should not loose the breastplate from the ephod. Now, including with the ephod, obviously, is the shoulder pieces, but also the girdle. That's part of the ephod. So, okay, so what exactly uh, does that mean? Well, there's the connection. Remember that the ephod with its girdle points us to Jesus Christ, does it not? I mean, the material, the colors, we already saw that in the tabernacle. So here there's a wonderful picture in that the breastplate is not to be loosed from the ephod. You can't separate the two. You can't make a distinction between the two. Now they're different pieces, but they go together. Don't separate them. God says that. Now I think to me here the picture is quite clear and obvious and that is those names that are written here on the breastplate which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They're there and God says don't separate them from the ephod. Well, the ephod pictures Christ. So therefore, our representation before God cannot be separated from Christ. The picture is clear that the only acceptance that we have before God is in Christ. Uh, The New Testament emphasizes this. Read the book of Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ, just all throughout the epistle. But we've been memorizing Romans 8.1, so let's say it together. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There it is. You know why there is no condemnation for us? Not because we're good. Not because we've done good works. Not because the good has outweighed the bad. There is no condemnation for us because we are in Christ. We are brought in, not loosed from the ephod. We are connected to Christ, and our entrance into God is only on that basis. Only on that basis. And so, God said, don't loose the breastplate from the ephod. Those they stay together. The standing of Israel, and all of their rebellion and their disobedience and their uncleanness, their standing would be would have to be in Christ. So we see here the breastplate and its connection to the ephod. But let me speak here a little bit before we go into the uh, the name of the of the breastplate. But the breastplate in its position on the high priest. Uh, from verse uh, 26 down to verse 29, including verse 30, you find, for example, in verse 29, that the breastplate of judgment is to be upon his heart, with reference to Aaron at that time, who was the high priest upon his heart. Again, he repeats in verse 30, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. And so the placement here is upon the heart. And I've already made an allusion. Uh, uh, um, I've already alluded to that, that. That is the place of affection. In other words, the names are already written on the shoulders. Why do you have to have the names written again? Well, this is the centerpiece. The centerpiece. If you notice here, he says at the end of verse 29. Well, let's read all of verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart, when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. The word memorial here is a reminder. It is a call to remembrance. Does God somehow forget Is that why the names need to be engraven? Because God forgets the names of the 12 tribes? No. Uh, We know that's the case. That's not not the case. God is omniscient. He knows all things. But this memorial is to appear. Notice, who is the high priest representative of? Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, He comes into the presence of God and He bears us with Him, and He and we, notice we, we are at the center. Our names are engraven on His breastplate in the spiritual sense. Our names are written in the book of life, and that is where our position is. Uh, We uh, appear before, before the presence of God because of His great love for us. The New Testament makes it clear. We love Him because He first loved us. You see, the love of Christ, he writes to the Corinthians, constraineth us. The great love of Christ. If you turn with me to a reference in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Notice with me Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 verse 1 Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus notice the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, the scripture then would say uh, later his desire was that he might bring many sons into glory. That was the joy that was set before Him, in bringing many sons into glory. It's it's interesting as you look at the pattern, He says, well, uh, Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, notice He endured the cross. And so we come into the tabernacle and we have the brazen altar. That's the picture, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He endured the cross, despising the shame But then, because he endured the wrath of God and the judgment of God upon our sins, he is able to then sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. He comes into the presence of God, but guess what? When he comes into the presence of God, he brings us with him. And we are forever as a memorial with Christ before the presence of God. And understand what that means. It's not that God remembers our performance. That's not what the memorial is about. It is not that He remembers us or remembers our goodness. It is is that God remembers Christ. You see, don't think, well, uh, my uh, uh, prayers are worthy to be answered because of me. No, our prayers are worthy to be answered because of Christ. You see, Uh, This breastplate that is to appear before the Lord as a memorial, as a way of remembrance. It is not our sacrifice for God that He will remember. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that He will remember. That is the memorial. Our standing remember uh, of the breastplate is connected with the ephod. Those are inseparable. They're inseparable. And by the way, If there is no ephod, there is no breastplate upon which to hang it. Or there is no, there is nothing, if there is no ephod, there is nothing upon which to hang the breastplate. It's important for those who do not know the Lord, and I, I would venture to say that most of you probably today, tonight, know the Lord. But can I encourage you tonight, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, You will never be good enough to be accepted of God. But in Christ, you can be made righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ can be imputed unto your account by faith, according to Romans chapter 4. And so the memorial that we see here before the Lord is the memorial, the remembrance of Christ and His sacrifice. Now remember... Uh, the, and we're going to see what the priest would do. I don't want to get into too much details, but remember, it would be uh, over here at the tabernacle. It would be the high priest who would offer the sacrifice at the brazen altar. And you remember what he would do. He would uh, cut the lamb or the goat, and uh, the blood would come, and the blood would be captured in a, a small copper or basin. And then the priest would come, and he would hold the blood of that sacrifice. And he would bring it into the holy place, past the table of shewbread on the right, past the candlestick on the left. He'd come before the table of incense. And here he stands once a year, only once a year, no other time. No man can come except high priest. And then he would take the blood, and then he would sprinkle the blood on his vesture. You know, the thought may be, well, is there an instruction for how much blood we don't see how much blood, but the point is I'm, I'm pretty certain that the high priest would probably use a lot of it, not just one quick sprinkle. By the way, remember, he knows the warning. If you go in there unworthily, you die. I, I, I would imagine that the breastplate would be sprinkled with blood. That he would not uh, leave Uh, maybe it would not be 100% covered with blood, but that every section, there would be blood sprinkled on it. Noting that the only way that entrance can be found with God is if a sacrifice for sin has been made. If sin has been punished, if sin has been judged, you can come in. We recognize today, That salvation is not that God has overlooked our sin. Salvation is that Christ, uh, or God has judged our sin in the person of Christ. Let's never forget that. Let's never forget that. But there's one more thing that we note about the breastplate, and I'm done, and that is the name. It is called three times in our text, the breastplate of judgment. Now I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well. The breastplate of judgment. So I did a word search. The first time the word judgment appears, it is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. In reference to Abraham. When God says about Abraham, I know him, uh, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. The second time that word appears is in Exodus 21, verse 1. And saying, now these are the judgments which thou hast said before them. And here the word judgment, understand it's not um, in the sense, um, uh, we might think of wrath here. That's not what he's talking about. The word judgment means a verdict, a judicial pronouncement. So, According to verse 29, the breastplate of judgment is to be upon the heart of Aaron for a memorial before the Lord continually, but it is referred to as the breastplate of judgment. So, and I'm thinking, here's the verdict. Here's the pronouncements. Here's the... Judicial pronouncement. The 12 tribes of Israel who are written on the breastplate. What are they engraved on? Precious stones. What are they set in? Gold. And that's how they appear before the Lord. The breastplate itself, here's what it is. It is God's verdict. It is God's judicial pronouncement of them. We recognize, all of us, that there is nothing. There is nothing uh, good and beautiful about us. We are. We. The Bible says we were lost in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter three there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so we know what we are. But when we come into the presence of Christ, connected to the ephod in Christ, God's verdict and judicial pronouncement is... They are precious, they are pure, they are set apart, never to be removed. That is God's verdict. The word, the judicial pronouncement, the New Testament word for judicial pronouncement for us is justified. That's what that is. Uh, By faith uh, we are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ and so that Justification, that's a verdict from the judge. That is a judicial pronouncement where the judge says, you have done nothing wrong. You see, there are many words in the Bible. One of the words is if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, and that's true. But there's other words that are used, right? Um, We have been ransomed. We have been bought back. That's what the word means. And so, but there's one word that I, I really love. And that's the word, you're justified. Justified. Here's the difference. Let me lay for you the difference. If I uh, wait in the courtroom and, I, and the judge calls my name and I'm next on the docket and I have to stand before the judge. And here am I, I'm, I'm here before the judge and... I know I've broken the law. I know I've lived a miserable, uh, heathen life. And I'm guilty. And I know that before i even come to the judge. And then the judge begins to open the book and he lists all of my transgressions. Uh, He lists all the handwriting of ordinances that are against me. And he reads them off. And the judge then says, You know what? I love you and so... I sent my son for you, and so I, I'm going, I, I know you have violated the law. I know you've done those things, but I forgive you. So I, I'm not going to remember those things. You're, you are forgiven. The word forgiveness carries the idea that God knows what we've done wrong, but He will not apply them to us. But the word justifies, justified goes a step further. If I would stand in the courtroom ready to be next, the judge calls my name and I stand before the judge this time. And the judge opens the book. And because I'm in Christ, he goes through the pages. And he says, I find nothing. You've never done anything wrong. You've never sinned. You see, that's what the word justified means. It is just as if I had never sinned. Why? Because I am in Christ. You see, it's not that I'm walking in the courtroom hand in hand with Christ, and here He is, the perfect Son of God, and here I am, the sinner, and He is trying to convince God somehow to accept me. No. I come in Him. I come with His righteousness. You know that, how that's possible? It's possible through propitiation. A transfer has happened on the cross. My sin was laid on Jesus Christ, and when I believe by faith that He died for me, that He was buried and that He rose again, I receive His righteousness. It is transferred to my account. And so my record and my standing before God is only in the record of Christ, which is righteousness. And so that's why God, and when I stand before the judge, He says, I can't find anything wrong because you have the record of Christ. You are justified. You have never sinned. You see, that's what it means to be in Christ. It's what it means to be carried. And now, as a memorial before God, we are precious. Engraved in, that, in a position that will never change, that will never be removed, eternally connected with the ephod, which is Jesus Christ. And so, may the Lord help us to get a sense of, uh, of gratefulness for the great salvation we enjoy. And it might be that some of you at some point have said, well, I'm discouraged. Pastor, you don't understand how I've lived my life in the past. If you're in Christ, you have His Righteousness. Can I encourage you, don't bring that up again. You're in Christ. You have new life. Why would you keep bringing up something that God will never bring up? Why would you do that? You see, we have to change our thinking from how we view ourselves to how God views us in Christ. How God views us in Christ.